Vivi is the name. Cricket is the game. Cut away for four. Carlos Brathwaite. Remember the name. And my goodness, it's gone way down to Swansea. Finishes off in style. I was, I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like hosting me on me. The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes low. Oh, you right. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrongin. Ollie Godden's here. Hi, Bertie. Satch Agarwal's here. Hello, lads. And I'm here, Bertie Moores, your captain, your Michael Vaughan, your Mike Braley, even. <laughs> I'm not having any of that. Not my leader. I don't, I don't, I don't think uh, no one else apart from that you two is privy to the uh, to the way the organisation of, uh, of this ship goes, and I'd say that given that we agreed to meet online and we asked Satch, where are you? And he just says, oh... You, you've been my alarm. I'm still in bed. I need a shower. Suggests suggests that I run this fine ship. You know, I was saying about my back garden cricket the other week. Well, uh, well, we've upgraded because I think the only expenditure that I've uh, I've had in the past three months has been on five new wind balls because I keep tonking them over the fence. <laughs> then, I mean, your text to us suggested that it was your brother's fault for not bowling very well. So I'm surprised. Well, that you've, you shouldn't uh, been willing shouldn't to shell out. The slot. So is it his fault or your fault? And if it is his fault, then why is he not buying the balls? I mean, technically, I'm the one that's hitting them over the fence, but he's the oh, one yeah. who's bowling them at a sort of juicy full toth length. Is this is this in your L-shaped garden that you can only hit to cover in and every everything else goes over the fence? Well, you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he keeps uh, he keeps blaming me for like bowling dollies up towards me and then watching them sail fifteen yards over the fence. Can I ask who the recipient is of all these balls? Is it going into the same same garden each time? I was going to say, yeah, is, is your neighbour not very they, friendly? Uh, they don't really use the garden, so so they never they've never ever ever thrown anything back in all all the time that me and my brother have been uh, have been uh, kicking balls over the over the wall. Can I just climb over and get it? Trespass. Yeah, but we but we thought there was some sort of coronavirus protocol that we were going against, but it did give me the excuse <laughs> to buy five brand new wind balls. Look at you, living to the letter of the lockdown law, coronavirus oh, look, protocols. I am, I am very, very lawful. I've actually had my first uh, cricket experience in this summer as well with a bit of, I'd say backyard, it was actually front yard on the driveway cricket with uh, five others, and it was actually quite hostile. Um so you've not been li- living to le- lockdown law, then, have you? Ollie? That was to lockdown law. There were six of us in an oh, outside okay. area. Were you all two metres apart? Oh, we were I all bet two someone apart. was at short leg. <laughs> uh, no, we actually had uh, my blue recycling bin at short leg. <laughs> I love that when you have inanimate objects as catches and games of backyard cricket. It was a better fielder than most of us, I'll say that. <laughs> no, it's nice to have a semblance of, of cricket back, at least. I was going to say, I watched that fire in Babylon the other day, the documentary on the on the Windies in the 70s and 80s. It was a good watch, that. You've seen it? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I, I, I'm saving it for... Uh, I, I'll, I will watch it, but and then I'll be able to discuss it with you lads on this at some point, which uh, hopefully... But it's was very good. The biggest thing to come out of that for me was I can't remember who it was. It was, it was someone like it wasn't Malcolm Marshall just uh, has got a single, or someone was just sitting by a tree singing a song. And this is probably going to need to be edited out because it makes no sense. But do you know the bit I mean? What are you talking about? 
Yeah, I, I remember the bit about the guy sitting by the tree and singing, but I didn't think that was a professional cricketer. It was, it was. Funny sure. what the song got Vivian Richards. Oh yeah, that's right. Sorry, it wasn't. It was about it was about Viv Richards. It was about Viv Richards. He's like he, yeah. Vivian Richards is a great human being. No, that's right. I remember listening to it and thinking, oh, he's just like you know, like making this, not making it up, but like having a strum and doing it for this bar in Babylon film and then re- realising it's an actual like song that's out there. I didn't, I didn't even know it was an actual song to be honest like that. Yeah. I, I thought it was just a, yeah. Uh, um, hey, I need to find it now that we started talking about it. You know what? That's a fantastic minute of uh, radio inappropriate chat we've just had there. Yeah, and, but I couldn't talk, I couldn't, uh, we couldn't talk about it without me mentioning this because that's pretty much all I can, uh, on the main thing. But I, I have absolutely that. no idea what you're talking about. Right, here he all. is. Here he is. And this, again, is only relevant for us because it sounds going to be awful. But this is the one you mean, Sam. That's the one. That's the one. Cricket is the game. Can you hear it? So out of an entire out of an entire can you can you shut him up now? Sometimes I just wonder if he's a next If you start that far in Babylon's chat again, I can I can come in with a coherent chat about Lord Shortshaw, Lord Short shirt. And the survey of Ian Richardson. Yeah, it's not of an entire documentary on possibly the world's greatest cricket team ever. The only thing you've taken out of it is a bloke sat under a tree singing a song. Yes. Well, anyway, right. The the cricket is officially on. Something we weren't really expecting a couple of months ago. I'm going to be honest. Uh, England will begin their three test series at the Rolls Bowl on the 8th of July before taking in Old Trafford and Old Trafford again. It it seems like it's a bit like Monopoly. You can only like get test matches if you build hotels on them. Too <laughs> yeah, good analogy. I'm not sure that's what they had in, in mind. <laughs> when they were building uh, Old Trafford and the Rose Bowl, thinking this will be a great biosecure venue when the... Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's it's doing a job. So thank God that, that they do exist and that all 951 England players who are in this squad at the minute can uh, can be housed in, in the hotel while the, while the match is on. So how's it going to work? Are you just going to stay at Old Trafford for, for weeks for like while these tests are going on and then they're not allowed to leave or interact outside? Of it? Is it like some sort of quarantine that they're going to be doing in this biosecure unit? Well, Basically, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not re- there's going to be it's going to be sort of like the sort of bubble idea that within that group, no one sort of comes into contact with other people. But I don't know, the idea that I imagine that 55 people, quarantining 55 people is going to be a lot more difficult and more complicated than quarantining and managing a normal size squad number of people. Yeah, plus all, like, I mean, that's obviously only players and they've got all the support staff. And then plus all, like, the camera crew and stuff that goes along with putting a, um, a test match on. It's actually a hell of a task, but, uh, but we've got cricket back and that's the important thing, so. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if Joffrey's idea of... Um... Canned laughter from the speakers is going to be taken up or not for these for these test matches. Apparently, I see James Anderson on tail enders the other day uh, said that he quite liked it, or said that he'd been watching the NRL, uh, the Rugby League in Australia, and um, sort of sounded more natural than he expected. So, 
So that's what I was saying to you a few weeks ago on one of these podcasts. I think it's probably more for the viewers at home that the uh, the, the speaker crowd noise than, than, than for the players. It's going to be weird for the players either way, but it'll seem a bit more natural for people watching it on the TV. I I'm quite keen on the idea of absolute stone gold silence, to be honest. <laughs> Such a purist you, aren't you? Uh, well, I think the idea... It's a bit like having a mic on the players without having to have a mic on the players. It's a bit like going to a county game, mate. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be quite entertaining to hear what they have to say or what they don't have to say. Well, are we going to be Josh Butler calling calling You don't even have to play crowd noise through speakers at the ground. All you've got to do is play crowd noise in the background of the actual production. Like, I don't know why it's so. I don't know why it's so complicated and weird. Yeah, because they could do it with a delay. Like if they, if there's a wicket, then you just ten second, you just tap tap it like at ten seconds after, and it could go out at the same time. But you can't have no crowd noise. Crowd noise, and then when there's a wicket, crowd noise that would sound even worse. Well, you can have like a constant level of crowd noise. The general hubbub of Test cricket that is so familiar. Bloody Albert, you produce one podcast and think you're an expert on production values. <laughs> I don't know. In comparison to you two, I, I sort of am. Anyway, I've that's actually not a comparison been, to me. <laughs> I've actually been looking forward to the start of the cricket on the sort of topic of of like atmosphere and stuff. I've been looking forward to the start of the cricket far more than the idea of the football coming back. Because... I mean, yeah, I'm with you on that, but that's mainly because for me, I just sort of designate the months of June to September as. Yeah. summer sport months and football takes a backseat for me and I mean that, that can't necessarily happen this summer with Liverpool about to win the league but yeah for me cricket is always the, it's that's what summer is there's just the sound of Michael Holden on the commentary saying runs after a good shot it's <laughs> sound of Gower chatting nonsense with both of them on the commentary sound of Josh Butler calling people knobheads on the stunt mic there's going to be some sort of a slight weirdness to it, but at the end of the day, we're getting three tests in 21 days. Like, when was the last time that happened? Yeah, I agree. I think it obviously suits players as well. I know it's going to be an intense um, couple of weeks for them, but having them in such a short period of time means they're not um, effectively going to be away from their families for, for weeks and weeks on end, um, which is going to be a concern, no doubt, for, for players during a pandemic, regardless of what the lockdown measures are like at that point. Um, it's important for them to to have that, you know, get away from cricket as soon as possible once it once it has all finished. So I think I wonder how it's going to pan out for the fast bowlers as well, though. Like playing so many, um, well, so much cricket. I mean, you've seen the size of that's, that's, that's why we have thirty fast bowlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're you're overrated, man, Jimmy Anderson might break down after about ten overs again in the first I test. Think that's entirely possible. It's very well, possible. I mean, that, that much cricket in a short space of time for uh, however old he is now, 40-something. Uh, I mean, yeah. He's, what, he's had two injuries back-to-back now. If he gets another one in this uh, this series, then it's... I think that's Kirsten's for his career, surely. Jimmy Anderson's 37 and a half, and this week he said, coronavirus break might add a year or two to my career. Like, there's no other player who's a quick bowler who would say an enforced break in cricket in which you your fitness, I can't imagine he's going to get that much better, who would be like, yeah, I can get fitter during that period and I'll be able to play till I'm 45. Well, I mean, he, he needed as long as possible to recover from whatever it was that happened when he was in South Africa. Was it a back, a side strain, a leg? I can't even remember now off the top of my head. So I don't think it's going to do him that much, you know, wrong, not being able to, or not having played up to this point. But yeah, definitely. I think if he does get injured in this series, then it's 
going to be harder to laugh off the suggestion that that his his days are numbered because three injuries on the trot is obviously not a good look for a, a fast bowler. Don't get me wrong, yeah. I'm, I'm I don't want to. I, I laugh and joke about it, but I don't want to see a fast bowler like that go out and his career on an injury. But you know, if it happens, then I'll be I'll be glad to see the back of him. But yeah, it would be it would be a sad way to end the career. That is, I think one of my well, slides, I, 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 say, I say that it's funny that Anderson says oh, I can add a couple of years to my career because like that sort of sums up the sort of character and the sort of cricketer he is, both in his performances past the age of 30, but clearly, but also in just how much he enjoys going out and playing cricket because it can't be easy having to come back from injuries all the time and you're sort of in your late 30s playing top-level sport. But it does slightly worry me that if he does have this attitude that he'll keep, keep, keep going all the time. I admire it a lot, but I almost wonder if that'll sort of tarnish his exit from the game. Yeah, and I, I think you'd like to think he he knows when the right time is to to call it a day. Um, but it's going to take a brave England captain and England's uh, coach to not select him um, at some point. So you'd think that the onus is on him to to call it a day, but um, when that will be. It might be down to down to injuries at some point down the line, even if not during this series. I mean, this yeah, this sort of thing happens with legends of the game all the time. We have this conversation all the time about oh, when's a player going to retire? Is he going to be pushed before he actually retires himself? You know, very, you do get to the odd legend of the game who, who decides it's time to go, but then you know it, it happens in India a lot. Like Tendulkar probably stayed on a few few too many years, and obviously, like in a similar vein, you, you couldn't drop him. He's, he's undroppable because of what he's done. MS Dhoni's very similar now, like there's all the chat about that. And Ollie's right, it, it would take a very, very brave man to to drop Jimmy Anderson. And you think he's probably earned the right to go out on his own terms, but it's that balance act now of whether he reckons he can still contribute something or if he's just clinging on for the sake of it. There are some exciting quicks coming through in England or or that are around the squad, like Joffre or or Mark Wood. But there's I don't think I think given Anderson's quality when he does play, I think it's not that it's going to be, oh, well he's just he just retires or doesn't play. I think it I think it's about managing his workload because when he's in that side and he's not injured, he's he's still England's best bowler. I think we could pretty confidently say, even if he didn't really play much in the Ashes and didn't play much in South Africa, on his day, he's England's best bowler. So it's about managing his workload, making sure he's not playing too many tests, making sure he's not absolutely hammering himself all the time. It might be if you have a four-test series, he plays in two, but if he plays in those two and isn't injured in them, then he'll be better than the other person they have it. I think it'll be interesting to see what effect not being able to shine the ball in the traditional way might have on uh, how he and all the other the, the quick bowlers do uh, as well. I, I haven't actually... Oh, is Jimmy Anderson going to be exposed as a fraud eventually? I mean, fraud I, by I, coronavirus. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard too much or or too much since it was revealed that Kookaburra were potentially making a ball with a, a sheen or a, a wax on it. But if if players aren't allowed to shine the ball, and that's what players like Anderson potentially rely on, as we've spoken about in, in past episodes, then uh, how much might that affect, affect those players? They've got to do something about this ball situation because shining the ball is such a massive part of cricket. Like it, it's, it, it's, it's obviously a bit grim using saliva, but it, it is what is used to shine the ball and get you know movement in the air. And it, you know it, it renders a lot of fast bowlers toothless if if they can't do that. And I, I do worry that it might just ruin the spectacle of the game completely if you know the, the usefulness of a fast bowler goes out of the window after about ten overs, and you know the ball is just 
a bit a bit soft and easy to bat with. Yeah, I think in the first couple of uh, of sort of what, what I'll describe as lockdown tests, it will be interesting to see what happens. But I imagine the likes of the ICC will be looking very much at these at these sort of first few tests, particularly the ones in England, but also if any others go ahead in India or elsewhere. They'll be looking at the first few tests that they have and be like, if it just isn't becomes a nightmare to become a bowler, then I'm sure they'll bring in some sort of thing to help it along so that the the playing field's not completely uh, completely slightly in favour of the batsman. So it might be a bit weird at first, but I imagine it'll be something that'll get righted. Yeah, and I think we'll, we might come on to this, Bertie, but I think even more credit then has to go to the West Indies for sort of agreeing to come over and, and playing and almost being the, the guinea pigs, if you like. It's slightly easier for England players who, who live here and are based here to, to partake in a test series um, than it is for, for West Indies players who are flying halfway around the world to, to be an experiment potentially for the ICC and, and how test cricket might work in, in this pandemic environment. So should we have a look at the squads then? Uh, England's is an absolutely vast 55-man squad, which, I mean, I imagine like Ollie Godden probably isn't that far down the list beyond these players because there's so many basically all of English cricket is involved, or at very least the top division of the county championship. Uh, what what do we sort of see in this? Like, why have they named such an enormous squad? Is it, like, for me, I almost think that it's because they're like, well, these players might be around in the future and be useful for the England team, so they might as well train. Yeah, I, I mean, I assume having that amount of players means that if any number did get coronavirus and still have a healthy reserve who could uh, safely play. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I think I think in a way, because as we spoke to, we spoke to Will Frayne the other week and he was talking about the furlough situation with a lot of the clubs and how a lot of players can't train because they're on furlough because that counts as training. Well, if you're England and you're looking at sort of young players aged 20 to 25 or players that could potentially be coming into the England setup in a few years' time, you might as well have them in and around the training camp if they can't be training at other times because you want to aid their progress going into the future and an entire season without cricket isn't going to do them any good. Yeah, I would suggest there's probably a surplus of, what, 30, 25 players who wouldn't have been in this squad um, had it not been an extended group of players. How many of them will go on to not just play for England but have established careers will be be interesting to see because you'd expect there'll be at least maybe 10, 15 players who are getting this exposure to the to the international um, setup, yet won't actually uh, forge a forge a you know established career in doing so. So it's a big squad, and I'm sh- and we will do a proper series preview for the Windy series in a couple of weeks' time. So we're not going to get into what the England eleven should be or who we want to see come in in this series to sort of cement themselves as it's sort of an unusual series. It's sort of a useful one to blood people in. But Ollie, as someone who knows a bit more about county cricket than I do or Satch does, that 55-man list is a list of players that you would imagine will form the core setup of the England team for the next three to five years. And there's some new, like, young names on there that a lot of people haven't heard of. Out of those names, who do you think is sort of going to be pushing for the England side in the next couple of years? 
Yeah, you're right. I think there's 14 in all uh, players in that uh, squad who are uncapped, um, and a number of whom actually have sort of made their name in, in limited overs cricket over the last few years, whether that's been in the Blast or, or over in Australia. Um, and that, that form has carried over potentially to the Red Bull stuff. So um, someone like uh, a Sam Hayne from Warwickshire um, has been really exciting in the last last couple of years, um, as well as uh, Phil Salt, who was overplaying with the, with the strikers during the Big Bash. Uh, and Tom Coley Cadmore as well. He's probably a name on on a few more people's lips than than maybe the previous two, but um, has got a proven track record uh, with red and white ball, um, and has potential to to forge um, a career in in the England shirt. And then there are other players who we probably know of and have played a bit of England uh, stuff before, like the Overtons, who neither of whom have, have properly cracked it, um, but have definitely got potential as well. So yeah, there are a lot of players in there who. who this for this for them. This is an opportunity to, to you know, prove to selectors and and to um, coaches and, and Joe Root that they're worthy of being in and around the setup moving forwards. I noticed quite... certain James Vince on that list. Imagine if he makes a little bit of a comeback. Wouldn't put it past him, would you? I'm sure there's a lot of England fans out there who'd love to see that name back in the England setup. Uh, names on that list that I find interesting: uh, Richard Gleeson, uh, quick bowler for Lanks. Uh, he played quite a bit of T Twenty, but he's he's a really interesting one in that in that he was he was just a coach until a couple of years ago. Until like he's thirty two now, and he got offered a sort of pay as you play short contract with Northamptonshire. It worked. Ended up getting a contract with Lanks, and he's one of their the best bowlers for Lancashire at the moment. He was he's so core to a lot of that T20 uh, T20 run last season where I will say they were the best team and should have gone on to win the tournament uh, but uh, he's 32 and to see him in the squad is sort of a really sort of interesting one because if you don't have a contract for several years he's not played professional cricket for most of his life and he reckons that actually the fact that he didn't do that might mean that he can squeeze a few more years out of his career at the end yeah, it's an interesting one. I think the black and white nature of cricket and the statistical basis where you can compare players very easily is going to be a lot or is a lot of people's downfall in a way you can see um, who's underperforming and who's being exposed. But on the other side of the coin, that's his, that's his, um, it's to his benefit, isn't it? Because you can see over the last few years when he has been playing professional cricket that his numbers stack up against uh, the best in the country and, and it uh, works out for him and, and he's rightly been called into to the extended squad, I'd argue. So there are a lot of returning players, uh, not returning players, there's a lot of new players into that squad, but probably the most important return to the squad for the for the team is Rory Burns. He's actually hardly missed any tests in the end, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to get a proper run of this new opening batting lineup, which looks so promising. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear what Satch has to say about Burns. I think it's very easy for us as a sort of biased English to sort of get worked up about uh, a bright prospect who's got a couple of 50s in, in, a, in a handful of tests because um, he does look a good player but I'm sure he had his flaws as well so actually we've seen a lot of, of Burns yeah my opinion on Burns is I think he's worth a go um, consistently in the squad and I think he's earned his place to be the, the, the first choice opener at least um, and I, I think part of that is down to the fact that there just isn't any openers like anywhere in the world the, the position is just so sparse so someone like Burns who is you know alright he's decent he's not doesn't doesn't set the world like life but he's he does a job um, his record's modest modest to good um, 
And I think on the back of that, given that he hasn't really got that much of the competition, I think he's worth worth a crack. I think he's. Yeah, we he, thought he should... we had no. Even thought they had no openers. Then it turned out Joe Denley just could open, and Zach Crawley could open, and we had openers coming out of our. Every uh, well, well, when you talk about Joe Denley can open, Joe Denley can, <laughs> he can he can block for a hundred balls maybe and not score past ten runs. Uh, uh, whether you what call you that opening or not. Blunt and the new ball. I mean, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair job. But no point in blunting a new ball when it sold after three overs, though. I suppose exactly, exactly. You need you need someone like James Vince to come in and flash about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> maybe James Vince can make a name for himself as a pandemic opener. <laughs> so the West Indies, uh, they they've also got a big squad, uh, a bigish squad. It seems to be uh, seems to be fashionable to have a massive coronavirus squad. Uh, for for a for a test series, so in total there will be eighty players involved in the squads between the two sides. Uh, but West Indies have only got twenty five twenty five man touring party with an initial fourteen man squad and like eleven reserves who will train with them and will serve as some sort of replacement if required. Uh, three players have opted out though over coronavirus fears: uh, Hetmeyer, Bravo, and Paul. Uh, it's understandable that some players wouldn't necessarily uh, want to come and do the series. They've uh, the players and staff have taken a fifty percent pay cut as part of uh, Cricket West Indies' response to the pandemic. Uh, I think we should almost be grateful that we're having a series at all, to be honest. From from their side, yeah, definitely. As I said earlier, they are um, doing international cricket service by coming over here and playing. And I don't think you can begrudge any of those uh, players who decide not to come for for deciding to do so, especially with. You know the UK's record um, with you know COVID and and babe individuals. It's for some individuals quite understandable that it's not a risk worth taking, uh, even if it is potentially for the betterment of international cricket moving forward. That, that the series does go ahead. And you have to say that that as well. Even though there's no uh, no World T Twenty leagues going on, so there wouldn't be any players being taken from those. Uh, the players aren't being paid an enorm- won't be being paid an enormous amount to go on this tour if they're taking a fifty percent pay cut. And we know that cricket West Indies' pay isn't as much as uh, as uh, as for other for other countries. Cricket West Indies will be getting money for completing the series with England, but I think I get the impression that this series is more for the benefit of England than it is for the benefit of the West Indies. Oh, without without, I don't, I don't think West Indies are gaining that much from this at all. To be honest, like for England, it's a, it's almost like a necessary evil to get this um, series done to to sort of satisfy the broadcast rights and whatever they've got. Um, yeah, I think hundred percent. This is this is all this is all on England, in my opinion. I also don't think we should um, you know forget the fact that West Indies are a sort of perennially perennially. Uh, how do I say that word? Perennially. 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 Uh, you can edit that out, can't you? Uh, I'm Good. absolutely not editing that out. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> out um, I also don't think we should get, forget the fact that West Indies are almost the um, underrated team in world cricket, especially against England. Uh, they always seem to uh, turn up and, and do a job when no one is expecting them to. So the old underdog factor, I think England, everyone's expecting England to uh, turn up in these ISQ venues and, and do a job against West Indies, but it's not always as easy as that um, against a West Indies side that, you know, will be will be contenders regardless of, of where they play in the world and, and always um, are up for the fight. 
think even more even more so the fact that if there isn't um if there isn't the whole shine in the ball thing, that is a massive part of England's game that is is goes. And I think it's gonna be quite a big level of that anyway. So um, you know, if, if the ball's just not moving as much for the fast bowlers, then I think any team, especially the West Indies, will come over here and fancy the chances a little bit more. Mm. And most importantly, Shannon Gabriel is in the reserve 14, and he is part of my favourite cricketing video of all time when he heaves against the Ashish Shah, and I'm hoping that he gets a chance to do the same in this season. <laughs> uh, Quality bowler. He lives on. I'm a bit disappointed Shimmer on Hetmeyer is not here. I do like I do like Shimmer on Hetmeyer a lot, actually. He's a great, great batsman to watch, really exciting prospect. Um, so it's a bit disappointing that he's not come. Obviously, completely understand why he's not come over. But yeah, it would be nice to see him play. Yasir Shah, his last ball of the series. Got him! Why did he do that? Unbelievable! Right, let's head over to the diabolical review system. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Here's a dilemma for you. Optional batting power plays in ODIs were a good thing. Discuss. So then, batting power plays in ODIs were a good idea. Discuss. From from what I remember of seeing the batting power play in that era was no team knew how to use it properly. I, I don't think I ever saw a team benefit from the batting power play. Either they took it too late when their best batsman had gone or they took it at, at, at the right time but then they put too much pressure on themselves to utilise it and the best batsman got out during it and it, it just didn't work that well for them so as a, as a concept I think it was interesting like yeah give the batting, batting team a sort of period where the, the fielders are all open they, they can go nuts but I don't I don't think it was utilised well at all I think the concept of the of the sort of fixed power plays in a way at the, at the very least, if, you, if you're looking at it from like a spectator point of view, and some people might not like this, but at least if the first few overs are slightly easier for the opening batsman uh, in terms of getting runs and getting off the mark, then at the very least it means that the, the, the contest might not be as sort of attritional at the start. Like it will give the game some sort of momentum. When it comes to like that, the tactical power play that they had when they timed it, it just seemed so unnecessary as to like another like tactical quirk that was artificially inserted into the game that was like aside from the general setup of how the game flows. Ollie, where do you sit on where on those on the op- on the optional batting power plays that just come in when you want? Yeah, I think it's a bit like <clears throat> or when the 100 does finally start, that's going to have almost the same effect and that no one's going to know sort of tactically how to how to play it. And I personally just love the chaos of uh, a tactic that no one knows how to use. Um, yeah, yeah. I think inherently, obviously, power plays are necessary because fours and sixes in limited over cricket are sort of the fuel uh, to the ODI fire. And, and as such says, I completely agree. That middle sort of 15 over period where uh, fields are spread and you can have sweepers... Um, on both sides it does sort of take some of the entertainment uh, away and giving the opportunity to the batting side in that middle period of um, you know being able to hit hit boundaries there does make it more entertaining for the for the viewer even if not done with brilliant tactical nows from from the batting side themselves so power plays uh, are we uh, are we out or not out on the power play I'm like I, I don't know which which, yeah, which one corresponds to which? <laughs> yeah. I think out is uh, out is no. 
No, we, we, we're, we're not having it. Optional batting power I'm, plays. I'm not out on it then. I, I reckon I reckon optional bat, batting power plays provide the the game with a bit more impetus and Ozzy's, and like Ollie says, just a bit more chaos at how nobody knows how to use it properly. And we all have a bit of chaos than we have to do It's a controversial out then. Is it? I thought we said not out. I thought you said out. God, it's almost no, as chaotic no. as using a power play then. <laughs> this is this is literally how it works. Someone goes, should we take it? And everyone, no one knows what the right This answer. is exactly what DRS is like, to be fair. Nobody knows how to use it. <laughs> it is interesting uh, in our like quite sadistic um, cricket hats on that we want to see uh, tactical failures. Essentially, we're being entertained by cricketers' inability to... Um, use a batting power play and that's somehow entertaining but yeah but I also want to see it's. I think it's an interesting aspect of the game and I, I want to see cricketers learn how to use it and like use that yeah. try, and, try and figure out how to put that particular puzzle a piece of the puzzle in properly I think it's I think it gives a bit of just an extra extra thing to, to, to look at for the for, for cricket specialists like us not just casual viewers right okay so uh, so we're not on board with batting power play. no we are on, on Oh, we, we are, are on board the bomb power play, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, really yay, to the, uh, yay to the optional power play. <laughs> so, uh, cricket is returning to BBC TV for the first time in a long, long time. Uh, but there's going to be there's going to be no Jeffrey. Uh, co- uh, coronavirus combined with his age has put a spanner in the works on uh, on his return to the TMS box and and their potential TV coverage. So after 14 years on TMS, Jeffrey Boycott is uh, is basically retiring from uh, from commentary on the BBC. Uh, but as ever, as ever with Jeffrey, he's it seemed quite a suitable exit for him. But at the same time, he's not covered himself in a lot of glory, has he? No, he's gone down swinging, and I think it's probably to um, the betterment of this podcast that Matt Cracknell is actually not appearing because I think we might be sued if, if he was here and some of the things he said. <laughs> but, I mean, in a way, you can understand Boycott's argument. He's been almost the voice of cricket past. For, for a past, yeah, for a period of time. And regardless of your views on him in personally, he's obviously a huge figure in in the cricketing world and the broadcast world and, and has earned his uh, stature given given how he played the game for his country. So uh, so it's a moving he's moved on from the BBC and the other day uh, he uh, he retweeted uh, replying to a Guardian story suggesting that his time at the BBC was up. There was a user on Twitter who wrote uh, white male straight Tory and knows about cricket. Surprisingly that lasted that long at the BBC. And then boycott retweeting the comment with absolutely right and then he went on to delete it so then when he then puts out stuff talking about his time on tms it all just becomes across as almost like very false and i think it's a shame that or or fitting in a way that that is just ultimately how some people will remember his time in the game and his time on tv like i think there is i i I quite like it i enjoy listening to boycott i think he he is a dose of uh of dower he's he's a He's entertaining to listen to, but there is such a thing as aging gracefully. And I think that, uh, like you look at Henry Blofeld as an example, who's someone who who is from the England of old in a more sort of, he, so, he, he went to Eton College, fell into cricket broadcasting in a way and ended up on TMS. Great broadcaster, but he was very much from the past, but he didn't go about talking about how things change in the commentary box in a way that ke- came across as, as I don't know, 
dour and almost a bit insulting to the like the number of new broadcasts that are coming through and i think that when boycott says something like oh well i've just been pushed out it, it does a disservice to all of the really very well qualified and interesting commentators that are coming through yeah i agree I, on blowfelt I, I completely agree with in terms of using age gracefully i i've i've discussed with you recently in that about uh, i saw him on that Marigold Hotel program on BBC, Blofeld, and he just seems like the most Paul wonderful human. Yeah, him and Paul Chuckle. He just seems like a fantastic human being. Like he's, I mean, it's very rare that I would publicly back a old Etonian over a Dower Northerner, but I am going to in this case. And uh, you know, not just not just like the charms of the man. Like he, he clearly just loves life and has a, has a great time. But I think as on the commentary front, as well, like you said, he he, he didn't he didn't sort of dwell too much on the fact that he's a bit of a relic of the past and make that his way of commentating the way Boycott does. He, he, he did keep up with the game a bit more and, you know, didn't in that sense, didn't do a disservice to other broadcasters that are around nowadays. I do find, I don't know where I stand on Boycott. I think he's he's a colour commentator and that he's a bit like, he's a bit angry and, you yeah. know, says, you, says you controversial if things. If you were like putting together your, I think it was, uh, might have been Mark Chapman. Uh, who did an interview with someone, and they would it was or someone who was involved in football presenting, and he was saying, "Well, the thing is, is that you wouldn't have Graham Souness on every single panel. You wouldn't have Robbie Savage in every single panel, and even if they're not necessarily the most insightful every single time, they provide the colour and the vibrance to the show, which means that you then have that." that mix of broadcasting in the analysis. So it's not necessarily just about what they say, but also the sort of entertainment they then provide to the show. Yeah, I agree. You need a, you need a varied team, don't you? And, I, you know, it provides that dynamic of, you know, just a little bit like perennially annoyed, to use Ollie's favourite word, and living in the past a bit. And I think that's fine every now and then. But I don't know, I, I personally won't miss him too much. I think there are better people out there now to, to broadcast. I think his views are a little bit outdated. He, as as Matt says, Matt Crackle says, he's, he, he's not the most well-researched either on, on current current affairs in cricket. Um, and I think he is very much just there on his reputation of being a, a, a grumpy old man and going down that route. And which is fine, you know, that that, that has its place every now and then, but I think, it, I think it may be time to move on, in my opinion. So moving on to the future sort of broadcasting, uh, cricket's back on the BBC. It's the first time in absolutely ages they're going to have the, the highlights to the West Indies tests every evening on prime time television. Uh, Channel 5 did the coverage, but when Channel 5 do something, you always get the impression that their eggs aren't entirely in the basket, even if they have a... Uh, and in a very good qualified set of commentators or they, like Vaughan, Boycott, uh, Mark Nicholas, they were sort of the three that a lot of the coverage revolved around. So it was it was good, but it never seemed sort of to really grab people's attention. Do you think this is like a big opportunity for the BBC and BBC Cricket and, and England just to at least in this scenario show themselves off and put together a proper interesting highlight show which... Although I'm a bit geeky about about the sort of cricket media stuff, a proper show that can grab people's attention. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for the BBC. Um, they've got got nothing to lose from it. You've got a, a period of time where people are just desperate for any and all sport. 
you've got to, you've got to, got an opportunity to put the national team on TV, a national team that's recently won a World Cup as well. So it's a little bit more in the public's imagination than they otherwise would be. Uh, yeah, they should they should go all out with it as much as they can and and try and make a make a a good a good package out of it. I mean. It, it, BBC will always be more reputable than Channel Five, in my opinion. I can't, I can't take Channel Five seriously after the the days of them showing the Europa League and and uh, chanting about well, face nights on Channel Five. Some of my memories of Bolton Wanderers in in the UEFA Cup on Channel Five. I'll hear nothing against Colin Murray's coverage. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think if the BBC can do a good job here, they've they, they've got nothing to lose and a lot to gain from it. And I hope I hope they do do a good job. And those. Uh... And those and the and the names that are are hosting the coverage, Isagur, who has traversed formats and roles and countries across the world. She is she's a completely seasoned broadcaster. She's gone abroad and covered the big bash. She's gone all over and done everything. She'll be the main anchor for the coverage and and is very and knows her stuff and will be very slick and a good presenter for it. But I think it's interesting how it's Michael Vaughan and Alistair Cook who will be the main two on the coverage because, okay, Vaughan, we, we, we've described him in the past as Galaxy Brain Mike because he does just like, he, he'll hear about something new in cricket and he'll be like, I'll have that, I like that. And he'll just sort of, every single change that comes about the game, he just sort of seems to barrel into it immediately. Or he has like, he was saying about Tom Banton, Tom Banton should be batting six in tests because he's good in ODIs or T20s. And it's like, just stop, like slow down, calm down a bit. But him and Cook are... England's two most recognisable captains from the past 20 years, they will really, I think, be good faces for the game if it's going out to a wide audience. I don't necessarily agree, mate. Actually, I I, I do. I agree with that, the rec- recognisable captains and the, the faces in the public eye. But in terms of commentary and, and, and sort of broadcasting, I'm not convinced that they're the best two to do it. I think Vaughan, like we said, is he's a bit like Piers Morgan of cricket, in my opinion. He's a bit of a renter gob, just likes to chat about anything that takes his fancy and almost has, has set his mind on saying controversial things to to to, to provoke a reaction. Alistair Cook, I think, is just a little bit boring, really. I don't think he doesn't inspire, you know, excitement in my eyes. Ishigura is good. I, I do. I, she's she, she's very. Um, widely travelled and, and got a very good, um, very varied body of work behind her. I, I think I probably judge it a little bit harshly because I don't think she provides, when she's on Sky, for example, with the likes of Nasser and Michael Atherton, I don't think she provides quite the same depth of an insight and analysis as they do. But, you know, that is harsh because we are talking about two of the best broadcasters in the world. There, um, And I, I think, by and large, she, she is good and she does a good job. Um, but... Yeah, the other two, I, I don't think, I don't think they're great, but I am biased. And the others, the, on the commentary, they've also got uh, Carlos Brathwaite, uh, who obviously spanked uh, Ben Stokes for all those six. Remember the name. Remember the name indeed. Uh, Phil Tuffler, Alison Mitchell. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see to see what the coverage is like. But hopefully, it'll be uh, be something appealing and interesting. I mean, it's a it's a new cricket show for people to watch, and even if there's uh, even if there's no one in the ground, then better than nothing uh, right that's everything we've got time for today ollie satch thanks very much for joining us uh, if you've been a bit disappointed that we've not really dug into 
uh, the England and West Indies sides and what the actual series has to hold on the pitch, then don't worry, uh, we're going to be having a, a series preview coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got a load of interviews on the way. Uh, so those should be really fun. Uh, if you could drop us a uh, drop us a subscribe on uh, on iTunes or Spotify, that'd also be great. Right, we'll uh, see you in a bit. Cheers, Bertie. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Cheers.